Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the links from our Facebook page. As a hospital chaplain, my greatest rivals were the wonderful pet therapy dogs brought in by their volunteer trainers to visit the sick and dying patients and to brighten the day for the staff. I say rivals because they often succeeded better than me in bringing comfort and love to patients desperately in need. Larger dogs would sit quietly by a bedside while littler dogs would jump right into bed with the patients, bringing smiles to faces otherwise troubled with sorrow and pain. I was both humbled and delighted by the wordless comfort dogs would bring to our hospital population, so I started an annual Blessing of the Pet Therapy Dogs on St. Francis Day, October 4th, for the dogs, their owners, and any patients who wanted to attend. Of course, it included a reading of the Rainbow Bridge, for those pet therapy pooches who'd passed that year. By the way, for any of you out there who may not have heard it, let me take a minute to read what is described on the internet as an anonymously written poem. Just this side of heaven is a place called Rainbow Bridge. When an animal dies that has been especially close to someone here, that pet goes to Rainbow Bridge. There are meadows and hills for all of our special friends so they can run and play together. There's plenty of food, water, and sunshine, and our friends are warm and comfortable. All the animals who had been ill and old are restored to health and vigor. Those who were hurt or maimed are made whole and strong again, just as we remember them in our dreams of days and times gone by. The animals are happy and content, Except for one small thing, they each miss someone very special to them who had to be left behind. They all run and play together, but the day comes when one suddenly stops and looks into the distance. His bright eyes are intent, his eager body quivers, and suddenly he begins to run from the group, flying over the green grass, his legs carrying him faster and faster. You have been spotted. And when you and your special friend finally meet, you cling together in joyous reunion, never to be parted again. The happy kisses rain upon your face, your hands again caress the beloved head, and you look once more into the trusting eyes of your pet, so long gone from your life, but never absent from your heart. And then you cross the rainbow bridge together. This short piece on dog and human reuniting has probably brought more comfort to people than anything else labeled author unknown on the entire internet. Of course, any pet lover advanced in years should anticipate a stampede of dozens of the pets they've cherished during their lives. More than a field, you'll need a small continent to house the pets waiting for the millions of people who die each year. Of course, all things are possible in heaven. Speaking of which, why was God so mean as to limit a dog's life to a dozen years when we live seven dozen? 
Well, my guess is our pet's longevity is here to remind us that life is short, and the whole point of life itself has to do with love, like the love pets teach us to share. When I first discovered the Rainbow Bridge, it hit me especially hard because as a child, my parents gave me a German Shepherd pup named Rusty, who grew up to be a bad dog to everyone but me. Rusty was my best friend at a key time growing up, but his loyalty to me was more than offset by the way he would lunge and turn fierce with others. My dad took him to a trainer, but when he bit the trainer, my dad told me he had to send Rusty to a farm upstate. And even as a child, I knew what that meant, and I was truly heartbroken. So when I first came across the Rainbow Bridge poem, I chose to believe I'd experienced that story myself. But then, on my show of August 21st, 2023, titled Kids Hints 3, about kids' hints about their reincarnation from past lives, I found myself pondering a deeper possibility. It was from one child's memory of having lived a life as a bad dog, and her grief at having been put down for her badness. Her mother wrote, My daughter, right before she turned five, was in our hall in the middle of the night, still asleep, whimpering and crying. I got her to come lay down with me, and when I asked her what the dream was, she got very upset and said, It wasn't a dream. I remembered. She told me she remembered when she was a bad dog, and they made her go to sleep. What does it mean when the soul of a bad dog can reincarnate as a human being in order to try again? A pet's capacity to give unspoken love speaks to us sometimes as a profoundly wise soul in animal form. In the Hebrew tradition, animals and humans were able to speak to one another in the Garden of Eden, while in Christian lore, the animals in the stable supposedly spoke out loud when Jesus was born. My wife Charlene wrote a play about animal speech in Eden, the stable, and the future, which our congregation put on as a Christmas show for the community. It was titled, When the Animals Could Speak. And then there's the story of Balaam's ass, a cautionary tale about a talking donkey who could see the avenging angel standing before them when his owner could not. You can find it in the Old Testament book of Numbers, beginning at chapter 22, verse 18, I believe. There are also animal whisperers who seem able to communicate psychically with animals, and many owners who gladly pay them to hear about what their pets are thinking. But along with that, there are scientists who have worked for years on achieving animal-human communication. Most recently, the September 11th, 2023 issue of the New Yorker magazine, there was a, a fascinating article headlined, Talk to Me, by Elizabeth Colbert, reported on concerted efforts to crack the click communications of sperm whales by utilizing ChatGBT's artificial intelligence to crack the code. Colbert writes, in theory at least, what goes on for what goes for English and Chinese and French also goes for sperm whale. Provided that a computer model can be trained on enough data, it should be able to master coda prediction. It could then, once it once again in theory, generate sequences of codas that a sperm whale would find convincing. 
the model wouldn't understand sperm whale ease, but it could, in a manner of speaking, speak it. Call it click GBT. And further into her article, Colbert writes, SETI collaborator Jacob Andreas told me that SETI had found that CODAs have much more internal structure than had previously been recognized. Quote, the amount of information that this system can carry is much bigger, he said. Quote, the holy grail here, the thing that separates human language from all other animal communication systems, is what's called duality of patterning. Duality of patterning refers to the way that meaningless units in English sounds like s or at can be combined to form meaningful units such as spot. If, as is suspected, clicks are empty of significance but codas refer to something, then sperm whales too would have arrived at duality of patterning. Quote, based on what we know about how the coda inventory works, I'm optimistic, though still not sure, that this is going to be something that we find in sperm whale, Andreas said. Colbert also included in her article as well this lovely quote from the story of Dr. Doolittle. My, you don't say so, said the doctor. You never talked that way to me before. What would have been the good, said Polynesia, dusting some cracker crumbs off her left wing. You wouldn't have understood me if I had. But what more is there to be understood about animal intelligence if a five-year-old remembers with shame her previous life as a bad dog? There are, of course, millions of people in the world who believe we can reincarnate as animals, and animals as humans. So think about it. That means fully-fledged souls equal to ours occupy at least some of the animal beings we fancy are our pets. And what's more, for those who love the world of nature, what could be better than rebirth as a cheetah, an elephant, an owl, or a whale? A few weeks ago, while sitting on the Penobscot Bay beach with my dog, a Samoyed, we named Sonny, an eagle landed on a nearby rock, perched at our level, and sat with us for a quarter of an hour or more until we finally stood up to go. I have interviewed NDEers who would have drowned if it hadn't been for the intervention of dolphins. And as for our pets, consider. We tend to be reborn within the same families, so couldn't the soul of a grandmother from a previous life choose to reincarnate as the family dog or cat just to be close to her grandchildren for a few more years? Animals communicate with us all the time when we choose to pay attention. Now, speaking of dogs and grandmothers, I want to play a portion of an NDE interview I did with Shirley Black some 10 years ago. The accident that caused the death of Shirley and her dog, Cassie, was terrible. But Shirley's description of Cassie's liberated soul as she watched from her grandmother's heavenly balcony above has stayed fresh in my memory for the past decade. As you listen, imagine the joyful liberation of Cassie Dog's runabout and escape into the woods beyond where Shirley desperately wanted to follow. When you hear Shirley describe the rainfall drops of light and the now of all four seasons, brown rabbit, white rabbit, imagine yourself the soul of a dog having the same experience. Well, tell us about your third NDE. 
Um, well, my third NDE, I was a master corporal in an artillery regiment at the time of my third NDE, and I was actually, I was in a really good position. I was so happy at that particular time in my life. Um, I worked as a musician for the artillery part of the year as a reservist, and the rest of the year I was a landscape painter, and I, I made enough to make a decent living between those two. And uh, the day of the accident, I had actually driven to Provincial Park. It was in January of 93, and it was an unusually warm January day in the Canadian prairies because it went above freezing. And so, you know, I couldn't just let a day that's above freezing go to waste. So, you know, I, I took my little dog and we went out to uh, the Provincial Park and I was going to paint for the day. And if I were ever going to choose my last day on this earth, that would have been absolutely perfect. And it was the most perfect, beautiful day I'd ever had. You know, I was out there with my little dog. I painted. Um, you know, we ate candy bars by a frozen lake. Um, you know, we had hot chocolate. And uh, it was just a wonderful, spectacularly beautiful day out in out in the wilderness. And... Um, on our way home, I guess because the temperature had, as soon as the sun dipped below the horizon, um, the water, that the snow that had melted and water had gone across the road and it froze up as black ice. And on my way home at highway speeds, um, myself and a tractor trailer coming in the opposite direction both lost control and my car was sheared in half and crushed to the dashboard by the back of the tractor trailer landing on it. Um, my little dog was probably killed instantly. And I don't know how I survived it. I was told by the volunteer fire department that got there first that it was like there was this tiny little box in the wreckage that I was squished into. And there was nothing else <laughs> that wow. there's, you know. Um, I mean, one of the things that saved me was the driver's seat broke. So I was flat on my back when the ceiling was crushed down to the dashboard. Otherwise, I, I certainly wouldn't be here. I also wouldn't be here if there hadn't been a witness to the accident that was on the fire, volunteer fire department and who had access to the heavy equipment they used to pull the tractor trailer off of my car mm. <laughs> and do CPR on me. And I'll, like it was just, it, you know, very unusual because it was an isolated road going in, in the, into a provincial park in the wintertime when there's nobody. Only, you know, only crazy people go into into the wilderness in, in January um, but uh, so what, what happened to you what happened to me um, I you know I didn't go through a tunnel but strangely enough the first things I remember were being in uh, like an, an apartment that was really long and skinny and uh, there were bookshelves all the way down <laughs> and and uh, my grandmother was there, the one who had who had passed away when I was in my 20s. Um, she was there, and we went out in the balcony, and my little dog, Cassie, was playing in the meadow below. And uh, I wanted to go there with her. I was going to jump off the balcony to go be with my, my dog, and my grandmother wouldn't let me go. And she... I... Um, she, it... it I guess to you I would describe it as she was hanging onto my hand, but I'm not really sure it was like a, it's not like this kind of a hand. 
it, it's it was kind of like being light and sort of having this idea of this image of myself too, but knowing that this isn't really me, you know, that the light bits are me. <laughs> um, even my, my dog, I mean, my dog was like light with an idea of herself as a dog, <laughs> kind of. And um, I really, really wanted to go down where she was. She's playing in the meadow and there was like a forest beyond and she was going into the forest and I was going to follow her and my grandmother would not let me go and I fought it and fought it and I was I was going to go <laughs> into that forest and grandma wouldn't let me and she kept saying I know that I know that you don't understand this right now and I didn't because I didn't really remember what had happened and where I you know, what had led up to that. I just remembered being on this balcony with my grandma and I was so happy to see grandma because I hadn't seen her and touched her like that in years. And um, uh, she just kept saying, I'll get you through this. And I kept thinking, get me through what? This place is great. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? Get me through this. And, and, you know, know, come on, grandma, let's, let's... Go go down there and and you know follow Cassie <laughs> and um, and she kept saying like really just remember this part that you know I'll get you through this like it's okay I'll get you through this and uh, but she wouldn't let me go and and she kept telling me I needed to go back and I said well, go back to what I don't want to go anywhere I want to stay here and um, and she said well you're gonna have to go back but you don't have to go back right this minute, even though I was thinking, well, minutes don't really make sense. But she said, you know, we can hang out here for a while. And we kind of went into that apartment and watched it get kind of dark. His, you know, the sun went down outside. Um, well, and I guess I could, should kind of say that when we were out on the balcony and everything felt really great, it was raining, but it wasn't raining like rain. It was just there was these little drops that looked like raindrops of light, and they were touching my skin. And wherever they touched, they felt like warm, and they were like happy raindrops. And everything, there was a sense that everything had this consciousness, that everything was intelligent and had emotions. And so you knew how the flowers were feeling, and you knew how the light was feeling, and and how it was responding, and it was just really happy, you know, like, yay, I'm, I exist. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, there was just this, this yay existence kind of um, attitude about everything. And there was also, it was like winter and summer and spring and fall all at the same time. And so, I mean, you'd see like bunnies that were white and bunnies that were brown, <laughs> you know, and flowers and snow. From the balcony. Yeah, I could see. All, yeah, I could see all that. That there was all these, you know, that everything was at once. Even though I had a sense that there were different um, times <laughs> being represented, there was all like it was kind of like, you know, how now can be like now this instant, but if you really think about it, it's always now. Like, so it's everything compressed into one. Yeah. Vision. Yeah. So what happened when uh, they rescued, was that the end of of your 
vision, or did you go somewhere else after that? Um, well, I remember my grandma and I sitting around and talking for a long time inside. We had tea and cookies. And one of the really funny things is that th- I remember the cookies because they were peanut butter cookies, they were chocolate chip cookies, they were hermit cookies, and, and um, this other type of fruit cookie that I didn't like. And I remember eating all the peanut butter and all the chocolate chip cookies and leaving the other ones. And my grandma didn't eat them. And I kept thinking, like, Grandma, why don't you eat them? Because you know I'm not going to eat them. And she kept saying, well, we'll just wait till you'll want them some, you'll want them later. And I'm like, no, I won't. I don't eat those kind of cookies. But it's funny because in the years since then, those are my favorite types now. <laughs> so I guess I, so I have this image now that the next time I go back, the cookies I like best will be waiting there for me. <laughs> um, but And we talked about my li- life, but like not just what had already happened in my life, but also things that were going to happen. But one of the things I found out, and I was able to confirm it, I didn't know this about my mom and my grandma, but they didn't like each other before my parents were married. <laughs> um, that uh, is my dad's mother, and and they're they're so much alike. And I guess as a little kid, it would hard, you know, like they were, mom and grandma were just cut from the same. <laughs> like my dad really chose someone very very much like his mother um, to marry, and I had no idea that they really. Grandma had actually been quite mean to my mom and done mean, spiteful things. And she she actually said that she felt very badly for how she had treated my mother because she said my mother actually turned out to be a very good mother to her grandchildren and that she wishes that she had been kinder to her (laughs) when she was alive. And I went and I asked my mom about some of the things that my grandma had told me about. And my mom confirmed it. And But, you know, when you're little, you just... You're oblivious to what the adults, <laughs> you know, and how, how people are getting along. You just assume everybody loves grandma. <laughs> so after after tea and cookies, how did you, uh, was there something between that and your being back in your body? Um, there was, I mean, there was a lot of information in that thing. Like I said, I saw things that, were going to happen as things that have actually happened to me since then that I remember seeing but good and bad yeah both yeah <laughs> yeah like I saw you know I, I you know I saw more about you know the end of my first marriage and which wasn't very good and and uh, and things about my you know things about my future that some haven't happened yet but some have and at the time, you know, I really wasn't sure what to think about it all. Um, I remember her telling me, though, that when I got back, there would be a sign from her that this really happened. And um, one of the things that was interesting was when I had gone painting in the park, I had a set of paintbrushes that she had given me. Now, almost everything was destroyed in my car. My car was ripped in half, and there was very little left. I mean, I had a, a metal, a steel metal um, thermos of hot chocolate that was just crumpled up like a wrapper. Um, you know, the the car was, I mean, the car was unrecognizable. It, it was in pieces. And somebody had found my backpack in the wreckage, and it was even shredded. But inside the backpack, these watercolor brushes that my grandmother had given me were absolutely pristine. <laughs> 
<laughs> they were they they were the one thing that survived the car accident. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. But I did not want to come back, and and particularly once I figured out what I was coming back to, because at first I was kind of oblivious to w- what would be waiting back for me. And I remember seeing what was my body in the hospital, and it was in really bad shape. I mean, it was just it was all purple and swollen. It didn't look like me at all. And I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to fit in there. <laughs> like that was, I mean, that was my biggest concern is I'm just, I'm not going to fit. <laughs> your soul was not going to fit in your body. <laughs> what were there? What were there serious injuries? I mean, were you at broken bones or damaged organs or anything like that? Um, well, I was um, un- unconscious for days after the accident. Um, so I had a severe head injury. Um, they originally weren't sure if I was actually going to keep this arm. I had really, really bad... I mean, when my car was ripped in half, it was ripped in half right between the driver's side and the passenger side. So I had a lot of injuries along my, my right-hand side. Um, yeah, my, my knee was... Like, my leg had to be stuck back together by an orthopedic surgeon. I needed uh, um, extensive uh, plastic surgery and... and uh, like most of the skin was ripped off this side of my face. Um, did a beautiful job. <laughs> um, you know, my I was I have a fractured bit here. Um, my jaw was knocked out of place. Uh, you know, I had a big gash here. I mean, I was originally they they um, were not expecting me to live. Then they weren't expecting me to have any hearing in this year, and they they were pretty sure I would lose the sight in this eye. Um, they really they thought the brain damage would probably be pretty extensive. I mean, my first husband was told, like, he was in the Army at the time, and he was expecting to come and identify the body. That, yeah, they weren't expecting me to be still be there when he got there. Yeah, it was, it was really hard on him. And, um, and then when I first woke up, I guess the first, well, I guess to get back in the body, my grandmother pushed me, just, just you know, I did not go willingly. I, remember, I distinctly remember being pushed, and I distinctly remember thinking, "Grandma, <laughs> like not how could my grandma do that?" Grandma, how cruel you are! <laughs> I, I, I had a difficult time thinking that my grandma would do something like that. <laughs> it just wasn't my image of her at all. My thanks again to Cheryl Lee Black for sharing her story. To hear her complete interview, go to our YouTube channel. And look up parts one and two, dated January 27th and February 3rd of 2014. My thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to hear this show again or any of our more than 500 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button. Or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio Library. Also, be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone, for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.